0: Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen.
1: And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions.
0: Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in.
1: All right, before hopping into our next interview, I want to talk to you about one of Jen and my favorite components of our health, our foot health. It's so, so, so important when it comes to our movement, but also just when it comes to how we sense our environment around us. And that's why we love Naboso and all of the incredible foot health tools that they bring us to continue to optimize our foot health, which really has a huge impact on our overall health. We did an incredible interview with the functional podiatrist, Dr. Emily, who founded Nemoso and came up with all these incredible tools. And I really want to focus on their recovery socks and the stimulation it gives all of those sensory nerves in your feet. Our feet have so many sensory nerves, but we still just put them in thick socks or slippers or put them in these tight shoes that don't allow those nerves to feel the environment around them as much. So these sensory socks are incredible at helping stimulate, give those feet a little bit of a different stimulus so that they can grow and that they can start to sense the world around us a little bit better. Go check out. They have three different types of foot recovery socks. The general foot recovery socks that go to the ankle, studio socks, which are a little bit slimmer fit, and their high knee recovery socks, which Jen and I love using something like this when we go on a plane ride where we're not going to be walking a lot and might need a little compression for that leg. And even bigger bonus, Naboso gave us an incredible 15% off coupon code. So you can go down to the link in the show notes, make sure you use code optimal at checkout to get 15% off anything site-wide. One of our favorite things that they have is the Naboso toe splay to help with that toe spread after a long day at work or wherever you may have been doing throughout the day. So go check out that link in the show notes. Make sure you use code optimal at checkout and get your 15% off. Here for our next interview today is Dr. Kami Haas. He is the founder of The Super Dentists, which is one of the largest dental practices in California. He is also the author of the new book, If Your Mouth Could Talk, which covers everything from the links between oral health and physical disease, to the impacts that oral health has on our psychological and emotional well-being, to dental care tips during pregnancy, infancy, and early childhood. Dr. Haas earned his DDS at UCLA, his master's degree in craniofacial biology, and his postdoctorate degree in orthodontics and dentofacial orthopedics, both from USC. He also sits on the board of counselors at the UCLA School of Dentistry, and he's been interviewed by the doctors, ABC News, CBS News, Fox TV, Good Day LA, Inside Edition, and many others. Seriously, this interview being one of the first ones we've had on oral health is so incredible. Dr. Haas kind of has a no BS mentality on demystifying some of these topics and really just bringing us the hard facts and real tangible takeaways where you can start improving your oral health today. Dr. Haas, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I really don't think we've had anybody who's come on who's talked about dental health, dental hygiene, oral health, oral (laughs) health in general, and how that relates to our overall health. So really excited to take a peek into your expertise
2: here. Wow. Well, I was already excited to be here. And now that I'm not, uh, I'm the first one to talk about Oral, I'm even super excited. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you'll be setting the standard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And I know you've been in this business for so long. I mean, one of the top practices out there, and you guys are only continuing to expand. So pretty incredible. But let's just start off the gate talking about how oral health really impacts our overall health like how does that relate to our overall health and wellness
2: okay that's a great question to start with so i think contrary to what people think that hey what's the big deal about oral health isn't all about brushing and flossing and you get a cavity worst case scenario it's halloween right now right everybody's yeah so what's the worst thing you get the hole in the tooth the dentist will fill it and we're good to go but your oral health literally impacts everything from conception and health of pregnancy all the way to chronic diseases and longevity. So let mm. me explain that a little bit more in detail. So uh, poor oral health on the mother's side, on the mother's soon-to-be side, can impact her fertility. On the dad's uh, soon-to-be side, can impact the quality of and the quantity and the motility of sperm. So it can impact conception. Um, during pregnancy, the oral health of the pregnant woman can, in a dramatic way, impact her own health. It can, in poor oral health, can increase the risk of preeclampsia, which is a potentially dangerous complication during pregnancy or gestational diabetes. It can impact the timing of birth. So it can impact, the obviously, the development of the fetus. It can uh, cause potentially uh, low birth weight. These are significant risk factors for during pregnancy. Wow. And then as the baby is born, uh, the baby's oral health can impact, you know, you know, everything from breastfeeding. Let's just say you have a tongue tie, and about ten percent of babies have tongue ties. Many of them get misdiagnosed or undiagnosed, or you know, they just don't get diagnosed, or the doctors don't take seriously. They can it can impact, you know, the way if they can breastfeed or not, and their airway and their swallowing patterns, and of course, airway can impact their oxygen intake, which is so critical for all of us, but especially developing baby, right? Their growth and development especially their brain then as that baby grows it can because you know obviously the oral health impacts nutrition and uh you know if they're in pain they can't sleep and they can't pay attention to school so when they go to school they impact their education and uh you know their impacts their uh confidence like one of the the number one reason kids get bullied about in school is about their mouth, you know, mm. crooked teeth and colored teeth. This colored teeth, if you have an underbite, you get teased for looking mean, and if you have an overbite, you get teased for looking unintelligent. Then, of course, it impacts their mental health as they get older. Then, when you enter the workforce, impacts the kind of money you make and the kind of dating you have, because the number one thing that people find attractive in other person is their smile. And then, as you get older, impacts literally it's connected to almost every chronic disease including Mm. cardiovascular disease, diabetes, arthritis, many types of cancer. And because of all of this, it impacts your longevity. So I know that took a little while to explain, but your oral health, I can't think of a part of your life from the quality of your life, your health, your happiness, your longevity, your confidence that your oral health and your children's oral health don't impact.
1: I think that's so fascinating. And it's not something that everyone thinks about. Everyone thinks like, oh, your oral health, it's your smile. But everything you just went through, all the way from our physical and physiologic health to the socioeconomic health that we will have in the future, to our confidence, mental, emotional health, our social health with our peers as we're growing up, um, it can really impact us in every way. And I know that you actually just recently came out with um, a book not too long ago called If Your Mouth Could Talk. And I love that title because it, it makes me wonder, so If My Mouth Could Talk... What would it be telling me to pay attention to? Are there different signs that people can kind of pay attention to on a day-to-day basis as kind of measuring sticks for where their oral health is at?
2: Yeah, great question. So, if your mouth could talk, it would tell you that, hey, I'm just so much more than just a cavity or some teeth that need to be zapped with fluoride, you know, twice a day, it'd be cleaned twice a year by the dentist. The mouth is, just think about it, your mouth is literally the opening to your body, right? The gateway to your body literally so everything that enters your body nearly everything has to go through your mouth to get to the rest of your body you know from air and oxygen to toxins to food to bacteria and viruses you know just let's take take, take the latter the mouth is filled with somewhere between five to a hundred billion microbes so billions of microbes you know about a, more than a thousand species of microbes you know bacteria viruses you know uh, bacteria so when you're when you have a uh, cavity, which is a hole in the tooth, or you have gu- bleeding gums, which is gum disease, those bacteria can get into your blood system. And where does blood go? Everywhere. Mm-hmm. So the bacteria can basically uh, travel anywhere in the body. Uh, you know, cause a local infection. It can go to your heart. It can go to an unborn baby and cause some potential problems. It can cause systemic inflammation throughout the body. It can cause devastating uh, systemic health problems. And so, and so that's like one way that poor oral health can impact your physical health. In other ways, think about it: your mouth, and your trachea, and your lower airway is just one tube, right? So they have the they they have the same surfaces. So whatever happens in the oral health impacts all of uh, the rest of that tube as well. So that because of that, we know that you know poor oral health has higher risk of all sorts of respiratory diseases, for example, like COPD and pneumonia, and even COVID nineteen. Complications. Mm. And it's also another tube, like uh, So, oral health, you know, our, our mouth and esophagus and stomach and our intestines is just one longer tube. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussions in the media and, and among wellness uh, people about the gut health uh, and the gut microbes these days. Well, where does your gut microbes come from? If you think about it, it all comes from your oral microbes, right? When a baby is born, uh, it, it gets the first dose of microbes when it travels through the birth canal, you know, through the natural birth. And then it gets additional microbes and it starts seeding in the mouth, you know, from breast, breastfeeding and, you know, and just touching and kissing and, you know, everything else that happens from the mom, from dad, from all the caregivers, from grandma, from a nanny, from siblings, a pet, you know, if you have pets around the house, every, everything, you know, it starts seeding the microbiome, but it starts in the mouth. And then every time you swallow, you're swallowing those microbes. It goes back and it goes down and, of course, creates the gut microbiome that now there's a lot of attention to it. But I always have to remind people that, you know, your gut microbiome don't go through your belly button. You know, they go through your mouth. <laughs> so the oral health really is just the beginning. And so if you keep your mouth healthy, there's a good chance that the rest of your body is healthy. And they're all connected. Uh, to your question earlier, The fact that people don't pay attention to their oral health as much is one of the biggest reasons behind that by the way is because dental schools and medical schools have been separate since 1840 when it was the first dental school it was established in baltimore and if you think this was a you know it was by design or a think tank got together and decided the mouth has to be taught in a separate school than the rest of the body that wasn't the case it was a personality clash between these dentists who wanted to integrate uh, the dental school within the medical school and they just got into an argument and he established the first dental school separately and then all the other schools followed that. And and mm. so unfortunately, we, I'm a dentist, I'm an orthodontist as you know, uh, we in dental school, we just don't learn anything about the connection of the oral health to the physical health, to the body. And my colleagues on the medical side, they don't learn anything about the mouth because the, to mm-hmm. them, well, that's something the dentist is going to fix. So we've, in dental school, we learn how to be, Mechanics, right? We we know how to do cavities, fill cavities, and do crowns and bridges and implants and root canals. We don't know how what the oral microbiome does to the rest of the mouth. You know how how does the oxygen intake, the oral development, uh, impact the you know the facial you know the nasal areas and the growth and development and the oxygen intake and how does the bacteria get into the body? What does inflammation uh, do to the rest of the body? None of this stuff we learn in dental school and our physician colleagues. They're like, well, the dentist is probably going to take care of the oral health issue. So this has fallen through the cracks. So my message to my to the to the public and to my, I'm on the board of UCLA, and we have this discussion all the time. And some schools like Harvard, UCLA, they're starting to integrate medical and dental school education to some degree. And I hope that continues to happen. Just because this has happened for 200 years doesn't mean we need to continue it. Mm-hmm. As a society, we need to really understand that your oral health impacts every part of your life and we need to take it seriously and by the way taking care of your mouth is actually one of the easiest things to do but we just need to take it a lot more seriously
0: wow that's that's so yeah. fascinating to really learn about and and see that you know especially being on the board you're starting to affect something different and starting to affect that change which i think is so needed and so incredibly huge and now you ended with saying it's so easy to take care of your health <laughs> or your mouth. Right. What are those easy steps? What should we be doing on a day-to-day basis? Because I think you know, we know for the most part, at least what, what I hear the most and what we're told is to brush two times a day and make sure you floss daily. So yeah. what and, does that really look like?
2: Great question, Jen. And I wrote 20 pages just on this because I realized what most of us are doing is not working. And the proof is... The number one disease in the world right now, based on WHO, World Health Organization, is dental disease, the number one. Mm. The number one chronic disease in children is dental disease. Um, Nine out of 10 people have some degree of root or tooth decay and more than 70% of our adults have gum disease. So obviously what we're doing is not working. So even though it's easy, no one's really taught us how to do it correctly. Because, again, even in, in, in dent- dental school, we don't learn what's in a toothpaste. And our mm-hmm. knowledge of oral care products is just like everybody else's. We know, like, fluoride, that's the only thing everybody's heard of. If you ask your dentist, well, how does the fluoride work? Most is going to say, I don't know. What yeah. else is in the <laughs> toothpaste? We don't know because that's not really our education. Our education is filling and drilling and crowns and all of those. So yeah. so let me explain. Really, it, it is simple, but we, but we do want to rethink how we take care of our mouth the, the 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 type of products we use, when we use them, and how we use them. So let's talk about that for maybe quickly. So in the morning, like one of the biggest mistakes I, I see is people brush their teeth after breakfast because you know they want to get the coffee breath out or get the you know food between the teeth out. But you're supposed to first of all, like like the simplest thing starting with the morning, you're supposed to take care of your oral hygiene before breakfast, not after. Mm. And the reason is, by the way, is because every time you put food in your mouth or drinks. The pH of the mouth, which is the, which is a measurement we use to check the acidity or alkalinity of a solution, right? The pH of your mouth is generally speaking is about neutral, about seven. Um, just about every time you put food in your mouth or drinks in your mouth, the pH becomes acidic, goes down. And once it reaches about 5.5 pH, um, some, some of the minerals, some of the crystals uh, in your enamel, which is uh, 97% of your enamel, which is the hardest substance in your body, even harder than bone. It's made out of this calcium phosphate mineral called uh, hydroxyapatite. I know it's a mouthful, so I'll I'll repeat it, hydroxyapatite. 97% of your enamel and 70% of the dentin, which is the next layer. Now, when you eat something acidic, uh, some of that mineral gets uh, dissolved away from the enamel into the saliva. It's called demineralization of the teeth. And then once you stop eating, within 30 to 60 minutes, saliva reverses the pH, puts that, those minerals back in your teeth. And as long as there's a balance, you don't get a cavity. But if you eat too much sugar or too much acidic foods or too too much processed foods, or, and you, or you do it too frequently, then the body doesn't have enough time to put the minerals back and you get it, start dissolving away. Then you're putting it back, you get a hole in the tooth called, called a cavity. So Going back to the morning routine, the reason you want to do this before uh, breakfast is because you want to do it because if once you eat for 30 to 60 minutes, your mouth is super acidic. And if you get a toothbrush and you brush that acid into your teeth, you can really damage your teeth. And Mm. the proof is right now up to 74% of the population in the United States have dental sensitivity for various reasons. The number one reason is because uh, of damaged enamel and gum recession caused by poor brushing. So that's like... Just, just it's a disaster the way we've yeah. been doing it so far. Wow. So, so what's a quick routine is in the morning, you want to get up in the morning, you want it, first thing you want to do is use an alkaline mouthwash. And this is another question I get all the time, question is Dr. Haas, is mouthwash good or bad? And my answer to that typically is, well, is food good or bad, right? Of course, there's a, there are a, lot, a lot of great food and there are mostly terrible foods, right? Processed foods and sugary foods and acidic foods and all of that. So, mouthwash. Most over-the-counter mouthwashes are terrible. <laughs> so those mouthwashes that you know, glow in the dark, they have artificial colors, blue, pink, purple, and, and things that don't really appear in nature, right? Or you can barely keep them in your mouth or they, sell, they, they kill 99% of the germs in the mouth are terrible because it's like taking an antibiotic yeah. you know, right. twice a day. Would you take an antibiotic twice a day to prevent disease you know, continually? Obviously, you wouldn't. So, why would you want to do that in your mouth? Why do you want to kill all the microbes in your mouth? In fact, we want to. So, the way we want to do it, so a good mouthwash has a couple of key things. One is it's alkaline, you know, alkalizing. So, the pH has to be above seven. And that's easy to check. You can get a pH strip and check your mouthwash, make sure the pH is above seven, right? Seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. The other thing is you want to make sure it doesn't have any artificial colors and preservatives and things like that. Um, The last thing you want to make sure that it, it has prebiotics perhaps, right? Prebiotics are wonderful because what they do, Mm. I want, think of your mouth as a garden uh, that you're taking care of it. You know, you want to keep your beautiful flowers, you want to water them and the vegetation while taking out the weeds. You Mm. don't want to just pour acid and weed killer all over the garden, right? And that's how you should be thinking about your mouth. You want to take care of your good microbes because they're, they're vital to your existence and to your survival and being healthy. Not, not only just your oral health, but your physical health. So, And you want to reduce the bad microbes, quote-unquote. So how do you do that? There are ingredients, compounds called prebiotics. That's really, literally food for bacteria. Two of my favorite uh, prebiotics in oral care products, both mouthwash and toothpaste, are xylitol, erythritol, and in- inulin, actually. These are th- my, three of my favorite ingredients. So again, you start with a mouthwash in the morning to reverse the pH of the mouth. You Also, plaque gets build up built up throughout the night then uh, then you want to floss your teeth because you can't really reach between your teeth other than using a good floss and flosses are also there could be some potentially toxic ingredients you know sometimes they use pfas or teflon or something on, on as a wax and there was a study a couple of years ago that showed that people that use those types of flosses have mm-hmm. a significantly higher level of these toxic ingredients in their blood so you want to get a safe floss um, and ideally you should, it should be infused with the right product. Just like you wouldn't use a toothbrush without a toothpaste, you should probably use a tooth floss also that has the right ingredients in it, right? Or at least dip it in your toothpaste before your floss. Then you want to clean your tongue with a tongue scraper or a tongue cleaner because again, tongue is a common area of bad breath. It's filled with bacteria. So your mouth is more than your teeth. You want to, your tongue is a big part of your mouth. You want to clean it. And the last thing you want to do. In your morning routine is brush with a very safe and effective. And I, what I mean by that is the bristles need to be soft or ultra soft, never a coarse bristles like you should never use a charcoal bristles or like really abrasive bristles that people use to overzealously brush your teeth. Because you can literally damage the enamel and cause calm recession. And you want to use a toothpaste with that toothbrush that, again, it's safe and effective. Mm-hmm. And so, Unfortunately, most of the time, those two words don't go together. Some things are very safe and not effective some things are effective but not potentially safe so and you know the fluoride topic is a big one if you want i can discuss it later but uh, there are other ingredients like fluoride is a consideration but it's not the only ingredient in the toothpaste obviously you want to make sure the rest of the ingredients just like we all learn about what's in a food we learn how to read you know food packagings we also want to learn the basics about what's in a toothpaste and a mouthwash so we can you know, you know, learn what we're putting in our mouths and we put in our kids' children's mouths because all those ingredients can get absorbed through our mouths and we swallow some of it. So it's really important. And we do that twice a day. So it's probably in some ways even more important than any food that we eat because we do it so much more routinely. So that's the morning routine. You want to do mouthwash, floss, tongue cleanser, and toothbrush with toothpaste. Then you can have your breakfast. Then if, if you want something to freshen your mouth uh, or reverse the pH, you can use a mouth rinse or uh, a mouth spray i love using a mouth spray because you can put it in your pocket or your children's backpack and you can carry it throughout the day that's the perfect uh, oral care uh, tool for post food and then before going to bed you want to do the same thing but reverse mm-hmm. you want to floss your teeth do your tongue cleanser brush your teeth and then use a mouthwash for the overnight protection
0: that's really fascinating i mean especially being in like the health and wellness space We do hear about a lot of ingredients, but I'm not still sure because marketing is so good and there's so much greenwashing that also happens with a lot of companies that, you know, understanding what you're supposed to be putting in your mouth from a toothpaste standpoint, I think is such a huge conversation. So I would love to talk about that and talk about um, fluoride a little bit and understand, you know, the controversy around this because we've heard a lot of how you know, f- how horrible fluoride is actually within our bloodstream.
1: Yeah, and okay. kind of like you said, if you, if you ask a dentist, and I've had this happen multiple times where people have told me, oh, well, you want this toothpaste because it has fluoride in it, or you don't want to use whatever that one is because it doesn't have fluoride in it, and then when I ask them, like, well, what's the main reason you want fluoride in it, they either don't have a good answer, or they say, oh, it's building blocks for the teeth, which I've also heard other people say is not exactly correct to s- to say that, so, if you can help us demystify fluoride and and what a good toothpaste actually has in it that would be amazing
2: i love it i actually use that word in my wood i said let's demystify the ingredients in our products <laughs> so i have a list of all, like i call it mouth standing ingredient and mouth ingredient. ingredients so kind of if you want more details <laughs> but I, um, this is a wonderful question because really nobody discusses it because honestly there aren't that many people that are really educated about all these ingredients, right? Because like you said, dentists are not aware of it. And then what can we expect from the public or the physician's side, right? If Even our profession, we're not really educated about what's in a toothpaste. What does fluoride do? Is it good for everybody? Does it, Is there an alternative? So let me kind of start with that. Why don't we start with fluoride since that's the biggest controversy. Yeah. And I, Let me tell you everything you need to know about fluoride. How does that sound? And then we Perfect. get to the other stuff. Perfect. Right. So fluoride. Um, was approved by the FDA many decades ago. And it's still in the United States, the only ingredient, the only compound. There's there's three different versions of the fluoride. There's sodium fluoride and stannous fluoride, you know, one more. And uh, so this is the only ingredient in the United States that's been approved by FDA to be an anti-cavity ingredient. Mm-hmm. There is another ingredient, by the way, which I love, that's been approved in other countries, like Canada, approved in 2015. It's been used in Japan for 30 years as their gold standard. It's called nanohydroxyapatite, which is just as effective as fluoride for remineralization. has no toxicities. There is a little bit of a difference between fluoride and nanohydroxyapatite, and I'll explain because they do have different properties. And, but, so let me get back to the fluoride, and I'll explain to you uh, about the other ingredient, which is a wonderful ingredient for, for most people, you know, pregnant women, young children, uh, But fluoride does have one benefit that the other one doesn't for very high-risk patients. So let me explain how it works. So do you remember I said when the way cavities are formed is that your mouth's pH, when it goes from neutral to about 5.5, which is acidic environment, those hydroxyapatite minerals, which is a calcium phosphate mineral, which most of your teeth are made out of, it starts dissolving away from your teeth, right? If in the presence of fluoride, those hydroxyapatite crystals, they bond with fluoride and they form a new compound, new molecule called fluorapatite. And then during the remineralization, remember I said the pH of the mouth then goes up, those minerals get deposited back into teeth. Those fluorapatite uh, molecules get deposited back into teeth. Now, fluorapatite is 10 times stronger than your hydroxyapatite. So when you have fluorapatite on your teeth, then your mouth needs to become 4.5 pH, which is 10 times more acidic than 5.5. It may not seem like that because it's just one, but every uh, number on a pH scale is 10 times more acidic when it goes down and alkaline when it goes up. So, so that's why if fluoride is fluoride does work and fluoride does make your teeth stronger. So the dentists are absolutely accurate, except that it does have side effects, and so and. That's just not me saying it. By the way, I use fluoride recommended for high risk patients and older patients who have a soda habit. They get a ton of cavities, Mm -hmm. their diet is poor, but I do not recommend it for most patients, including children, young children, uh, pregnant women, because there's a wonderful alternative, which I'll get into right now. So fluoride does work. It makes make the teeth 10 times stronger than if you don't use fluoride. And so again, I use it for, let's just say if you're an older person, Uh, have a history of cavities. Nothing else works because it's better than to get cavities because, you know, when you get a cavity, then you have to have a filling, then sometimes you get a root canal. It's the downhill process from there. Mm -hmm. So that really did just, uh, by the way, fluoride, what are the side effects? Fluoride, um, a significant portion, proportion, significant population in the United States, a significant one. There there are studies somewhere between 20 to 60% of the population of U.S. have now dental fluorosis which is a uh, discoloration of enamel and abnormal dental uh, enamel formation. And that's what happens when you're, when you're uh, young and you ingest too much fluoride. Uh, uh, that, that causes dental fluorescence. Also, too much fluoride over a long period of time can cause other toxicities, potential neurological problems, things like that. That's why I typically don't recommend it for low to moderate risk patients. Uh, like my son is 10. He's never had a cavity he doesn't use fluoride. He uses a nanohydroxyapatite, which is the other ingredient I'm going to go over right now. So that's really what the fluoride is. And by the way, these are not my just my opinions. These are facts. FDA mm-hmm. uh, has a rule that every toothpaste and every mouth or any oral care product that has fluoride in it, it has a warning that says, keep this uh, pro- uh, product away from children uh, under age six. And if more than you know you know if more too much of it is swallowed make sure you call the nearest poison control center if mm-hmm. you can grab your toothpaste that has fluoride on it, it it does say that so and again i sometimes recommend it so i'm not anti fluoride at all by any means i'm just saying that i'm anti fluoride for 100% of the people right because mm-hmm. again i think majority of the people don't require fluoride because it potentially has these so- toxic side effects so what's the alternative well for those people who don't want fluoride or they have a young child and or they're pregnant or they just don't get too many cavities like i never use fluoride because i don't get cavities um again uh, i use fluoride for 20 percent of my cases i just want to be very clear i'm not anti-fluoride enemies, but i just want to present facts and not take a side and yeah. be extreme on each side i just provide facts you know science and data and clinical research and you know then people can choose their own decisions i'm a doctor and i want to provide facts not opinions um, the alternative to fluoride there's only two ingredients that uh, that research shows that it remineralizes teeth. One is fluoride. The other one is this thing called hydroxyapatite, which is really what your t- natural teeth uh, is made out of. NASA in 1970s invented this as an ingredient to be added in toothpaste because they wanted to remineralize teeth of astronauts when they were coming back from space. So uh, then Japan bought the rights. You know, one of the companies in J- Japan right, bought the rights uh, for it you know, 30, 40 years ago, and they did it. And then now, you know, a lot of other companies have started to use it. Many other countries have already accepted it as alternative to fluoride. It has many benefits, including there's many studies that show that it remineralizes just as good as fluoride. Uh, So it's great for remineralization of teeth and prevention of cavity, even though, as I said, in US, it's not been approved yet, but it's been approved in many other countries. It's just a matter of Getting it through FDA. The one advantage fluoride it has, and this is why I use it for very high risk people is because it does change the acidity uh, level of attack to 4.5 instead of 5.5, but mm. hydroxyapatite natural, it doesn't. So that's the one advantage of fluoride. However, there are many advantages of nanohydroxyapatite that fluoride doesn't have. And by the way, you don't have, these are not mutually exclusive pr- uh, ingredients. You can have ingre- uh, products that have both of these if you want. Uh, but nanohydroxyapatite has many other benefits. One is it because it's I, I think of it as like liquid enamel. So because it's literally what what your teeth are made out of, it remineralizes the teeth. One benefit. It naturally whitens the teeth. Two benefits. Mm. Because if you use bleaches on your teeth to whiten your teeth, it actually causes sensitivity. It literally damages your teeth over time. But this one naturally whitens with and and actually protects the teeth and reduces the sensitivity because it's literally filling the crevices and those. Nooks and crannies that you know, na- you know, aging or other bleaching agents that have caused on your teeth. So it literally almost reverses the aging process of your teeth when you use nano. Uh, and the reason I say nano hydroxyapatite because there are too many versions of this uh, ingredient in oral care products. Nano hydroxyapatite is literally the size of your natural hydroxyapatite. It's significantly more expensive. You know, significantly. I mean, it's like it's a couple of dollars more for ingre- for oral care products that have it versus the ones who have just regular hydroxyapatite, which is micro size, which is a thousand times bigger than nano. Just my favorite is one is nano because it really represents the natural enamel, and uh, and so it, it and the other thing it does it does two additional benefits. One is bonds with the microbes in your mouth, and it reduces the plaque formation without chilling up any of the microbes in your mouth, and it uh, buffers the teeth against the acidic uh, attacks of food. And uh, that happens, so that's why I love to use an ingredient a toothpaste and a mouthwash that has nano hydroxyapatite before I eat my breakfast because it protects my teeth against my coffee and juice, you know, all the acidic attacks that's about to come. So I'll pause there for a minute. See if you have any questions before, if you want, we can get into other ingredients. No, I
1: think that was fantastic, and I really appreciate kind of your almost trying to neutralize the stance of yeah. this. This. <laughs> quote, controversial topic of fluoride, but you know, just by providing the facts. And I, I think that was a great and, and one of the best overviews I've had of fluoride and now also this nanohydroxyapatite, which is um, new in my knowledge bank of, of different dental care products. I, I had never heard of that before. And so I think that's a great understanding of how it helps remineralize remineral- the teeth and then protect in the future. Um, I, I guess the next question of mine would be like, are, are there specific brands that have, you know, this nanohydroxyapatite in it, um, that also have an, another kind of bank of ingredients that you trust.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I I prefer, if you want, like, not to name brands, but... Of course. Uh, and and part of it is because uh, we're actually launching an oral care product company soon, too. And I don't want to sound like I'm com- uh, commercializing this. Uh, and no, which I don't no, here, no problem. I don't like education. But you could, you know, literally Google, you know, not, nanohydroxyapatite toothpaste or mouthwash and you can find oral care products. More and more are coming, by the way. And my hope, and one of the reasons I talk about this so much is I really hope that uh, in, in the United States, uh, we, you know, get this product approved by FDA very soon. Because again, it's been around for 30 to 40 years around the world and it's been extensively and exhaustively <laughs> studied and tested. And so it's it's a really an incredible ingredient that we're missing out on, especially for our children, you know, in the United States. So, but uh, it is available. I mean, so it, it's more and more, by the way, available through more and more toothpaste and more and more products. Fantastic. And uh, again, the nano one is the my favorite one because it mimics your natural enamel and dentin.
0: That's great. And I want to go back to a little bit of like the pregnancy conversation as well because well me being pregnant but it's also i i hear so often especially like during first trimester pregnancy gingivitis is just something that's a really common term and i even know i had a really good friend during first trimester i mean she was so so nauseous she could barely brush her teeth she could not use toothpaste you know like any kind and and she did have Teeth issues that ended up happening. So how can, you know, pregnant women start to protect their teeth, especially during this new phase of life?
2: This is such an important question, Jen, that I dedicated a full chapter on it. And the reason is so important because all of our lives obviously start, you know, in the womb, right? When our moms carry us. So that the health of pregnancy is so critical and the oral health, like we discussed earlier of the mom is so critical to her own health. But the baby's health during pregnancy and post birth. So, uh, this is a great question. And you're a hundred percent right. Up to 74. These are, this is a CDC study that, uh, up to 74% of women who get pregnant, they get pregnancy gingivitis, like you said, which is, you know, you get swollen gums and bleeding gums. And, you know, and there are two reasons behind that, by the way. One, three reasons. One, women during pregnancy, they stop going to their dentist, mm. which should be opposite. Yeah you should go to the dentist like just like you do all the, your prenatal you know f- physician visits your dentist is just a very important part of your or you know overall health of your pregnancy and health of your developing baby so i encourage all moms pregnant moms to go to their dentist especially during the second trimester and the first half of the third trimester those that's the safest time to go to the dentist the best time to go to the dentist is before the pregnancy make sure you don't have any major issues so you don't have any major root canals or major t- restorations that we require. So, so these visits will be mostly for cleaning and checking your gums. But regardless, uh, you really need to visit your dentist during pregnancy because your health of your gums and your mouth is critical to your health and the developing fetus. So, uh, the other two reasons is one is like you said, uh, women, what happens is, uh, they, they, like we've heard, you know, you, you've learned, I'm sure, you know, you don't want to have like any fish with mercury in it and, you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. But what women are not told is what to do with their oral care because nobody knows. Again, this is the area that, again, nobody's educated about what oral care products is, uh, the, the, is a woman, is a pregnant woman supposed to use that's safe during her pregnancy, but also effective to keep her mouth healthy. So they, they, they don't go to the dentist. They, um, don't use the right oral care products. They, they say, I want to get something natural, quote unquote. So they go to like grocery store and whatever's natural. And unfortunately, most of these natural companies, to me when i read natural it says uh, to me it says i don't work you know <laughs> I, I don't know what I, because again I, i'm all for natural by the way i but when it's truly natural and effective of course i'm all for it and so uh, so let me kind of explain and the other third is like you said people, women are uh, nauseous and they have vomit and they don't know what to do you know they sometimes brush their teeth right after vomiting for the same reason i just told you about the food that's like the worst thing you can do you should hmm. use an alkalizing mouthwash or mouth spray after if you, you know, if you're nauseous or vomiting, because the acid will destroy your teeth. Um, and, and of course, uh, you know, like you said, pregnant women have really poor oral health during, uh, because of hormonal changes from cardiovascular changes. There's some physiological reasons, by the way, why also women have, uh, uh, pregnancy oral health issues. So for those three reasons, you know, physical reasons, the fact that they don't use the right oral care products and the fact that they stop going to the dentist. That's the reason. So, Going back to the oral care products, during pregnancy, you want to take care of your mouth even more because we know you're going to be pro- more prone for, to poor oral health. You, you, I would definitely not use uh, fluoride during pregnancy because of all these reasons we mentioned, but nanohydroxyapatite is perfectly safe and is a wonderful ingredient to use during pregnancy. That's for the teeth. Uh, for the gingival tissues, you want to use. Uh, you want to use again, alkalizing or mouthwash or mouth spray. It's always critical to read your oral care product ingredients to make sure they're safe, but especially during pregnancy, obviously mm-hmm. it goes without saying. So again, I encourage you and all the pregnant women out there and their significant others to learn about what what are the right ingredients. Again, I can go through it. You can look at. You know, I, I dedicated 20 pages of my book just about what what are the right ingredients. Explain it exactly why and what are the safe ones and safe and effective, safe and effective. Yeah. Those two things are so critical. And it's hard to figure out what are, what are the things that are safe and effective at the same time. Um, so yeah, during pregnancy, you want to use a nano appetite toothpaste. You want to obviously, again, do, do your brushing routine, you know, before breakfast and before bedtime, never after vomits. Uh, again, use a mouthwash or mouth spray to alkalize your pHs of your mouth. If you do happen to be sick. Uh, And then, you know, again, be a lot more proactive with flossing and going to a dentist. Uh, Just remember, your teeth also move more. uh, So if you have, you 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 know, retainers or things like that, you want to wear those even more religiously throughout your pregnancy because, you know, there's just, you know, you get more gingivitis. You get more cavities and your teeth move during pregnancy. So you want to be more diligent about your oral care your dental visits, and take care of your mouth during pregnancy than any other time.
0: That's so great. And I'm definitely going to go through that chapter as well to make sure that I am on top of everything as I continue Wonderful. on. And, I, and you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast as well um, about tongue ties and how common, you know, they're about 10% common in babies. Now, would a mom go to a dentist or an orthodontist to find out if their baby has a tongue tie? Where does a, a mom go?
2: Another great question. You guys ask great, really great questions. I love it. So, um, uh, so by the way, the ten percent is based on literature. My own experience of doing this for twenty five years. I, as you know, we have one of the largest group dental practices with pediatric dentists and orthodontists and general dentists hygienists. My own experience of twenty five years. The number is closer to about thirty percent. The reason I think the literature says ten to eleven percent is because most of them are misdiagnosed mm. or not diagnosed correctly, right? Because I think. Uh, by the way, in the old days when we didn't have a uh, formula, midwives used, used to keep one long nail sharp to cut the tongue tight because the life, uh, you know, of that baby was dependent on them breastfeeding, mm-hmm. right? Because we didn't have a formula to just shove it down their throat and have the bottle that like, just produce the milk, uh, you know, give the milk to the child. So, so uh, this was a very common procedure that uh, it was done. And so, uh, but unfortunately over time, you know, because of infection, they, they stopped doing that. And uh, now we have unbelievable technology. We have dental lasers that can, in just a few matter of a few seconds, release or revise a tongue tie with no anesthesia, no drugs, nothing needed. Cause that area of the uh, tongue on a, on an infant doesn't have any nerves yet. And so it doesn't bleed. It does nothing. You just boom, you know, literally five ten seconds and you have a baby that can now breastfeed, they can breathe correctly, the tongue will develop correctly. The tongue, the mouth grows around the tongue. Mm. So if the tongue doesn't sit in the right place in the mouth, you're going to have all sorts of issues with dental crowding and crossbites and airway issues. Because remember, the palate also is the roof of, is the roof of your mouth, but it's also the floor of the nose. So all of your facial skeletal structures, they are dependent on each other when they grow and develop. So one area when it doesn't grow correctly, or the tongue doesn't rest in the right place. It's a disaster, like in all areas of the face and facial structures and the mouth and the nasal cavities and all of that. So going back to your question, um, if, if you're, uh, if you're a, having any difficulty with breastfeeding, you have mastitis, you know, infection of the, the, the breast doesn't, uh, you know, drain the milk enough. Your baby's uh, always, you know, doesn't, is not gaining enough weight. Um, they're always frustrated. They're fussy. They have colic. These are all the signs that the baby could potentially have a tongue tie. You should take it to a pediatric dentist that is is an expert. Not all pediatric dentists, unfortunately, are educated about tongue ties, but many of them are. And so this is a routine procedure for pediatric dentists to do a tongue tie revision, or also very educated pediatricians do this. So there's many uh, very competent physicians or dentists that do tongue tie revisions, but not everyone does it uh, during an infancy. Sometimes they're not trained or educated, or they're kind of scared to work on an infant. And so you just want to find the right, obviously the right person. And this is another reason why I always encourage parents to find a pediatric dentist, not when it's too late already, when their baby's born or then when baby teeth start coming in or even later. Uh, So American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, by the way, recommends that every child sees a pediatric dentist by the time the baby first baby teeth comes in, which is usually six months. My own recommendation is to get a consultation, find your favorite pediatric dentist while you're pregnant. Right now, Jen, this is a perfect time for you to find a pediatric dentist because You take your time, you find the right doctor, you ask these questions, you anticipate potential issues. Hey, if I have this issue, are you equipped to do it? Mm -hmm. And Are you comfortable? Do you have the experience to do a tongue-tie revision? What about other infancy problems? Like some babies are born with teeth already in the mouth. Well, how do you address that? There are these little things that an experienced pediatric dentist can uh, can comfort you, can educate you and be there. Hopefully none of this will be a, a, an issue and you don't even need to see a pediatric dentist until the first tooth appears. But if there is an issue, you're not scrambling to find a doctor that that is an expert in the last minute because, you know, doctors are like, you know, I'm a dentist, you know, just uh, like, like every other profession, there, we have a bell curve, right? Most doctors are an average. There are some doctors that are not that great and there are only a few percentage that are like the superstars, right? And I think we all owe it to our kids to find those superstars that you know superstar doctors superstar you know teachers so you know that's one of the biggest responsibilities i have to my son as a as a dad that I'll, i just don't want to take him to an average doctor i always want to always always try to find mm. the best ones right and, and that takes a little bit of time you know interview a couple of doctors you know talk to your friends i'm sure in every area there are always superstars that you can find and then you're comfortable then you know there's a pr- person uh, that's going to be your trusted advisor and that's going to be your dental home when your baby is born You can always, you know, if there's an issue, call them, and if there's no issue, then at least get them to visit them by the time their first tooth appears. I think that's great advice
1: for anybody, you know, especially looking for a a provider of any sort. But like you said, a pediatric dentist uh, for a little one to to do the due diligence, because I know that uh, for many people, it, it can be very frustrating if you get one of those doctors or pediatric dentists that are on the lower end of the bell curve and and don't provide as great a service. It can you know, lead to uh, maybe some major frustrations in in early health journeys. Um, Before we let you go, I just want to have one more quick question that probably doesn't have a very quick answer, but I'll I'll fire it away anyway. I want to know a little bit more about cavities because it has come up a few times throughout the podcast, um, you know, the development of cavities. and, And I hear a few different things that I want to tag into this question. People who say, oh, cavities are genetic, they run in my family, so I just get a lot of cavities. Uh, Is it possible to reverse cavities at any stage of their development where it might just be starting? Can we remineralize that area and and reverse the cavity or do they always need to be filled in? I, I guess those are a few of the initial questions I have.
2: Great question. I'm, I'm serious. You guys ask really good questions. You by make the way. it easy. You make it easy. I love it. You make my job easy too, to answer all the great questions. So one, the answer to the first question is only 10% of cavities have genetic reasons. Mm. Only 10%. So yes, there are some genetic like, you know, enamel dysplasia. There's some very, very minor reasons why. I mean, I've only seen a handful of them. So 10%. Yes, which means 90% of cavities have to do with environment and our oral care habits, and which means also they're under our control, which is wonderful, right? We can affect it. Yeah. So that's the answer to your first question. Um, as far as how cavities are formed, there are many risk factors. Uh, one is um, diet. Uh, of course, we all know about sugar, but other than sugar, uh, which feeds the bad bacteria, that's how we get cavities, right? The, the bacteria eat sugar and they excrete acid and you get a hole in the tooth. By the way, that's how you get cavity. Uh, when the uh, pH reaches the 5.5, so that's one factor but there are other fo- acidic foods like if you drink a lot of coffee and you know you know uh coke and whatever it is like acidic foods generally cause acidic environment in the mouth which which uh promote h- unhealthy bacteria in the mouth and so on so that's one about diet the other thing about diet is it's not just what's in the uh, food that's bad for you but it's also missing from your food that could be critical especially for children right Our children's mouths require, obviously, nutrients to grow healthy. Their teeth require nutrients to grow healthy. So it's not just what's uh, in our diet, but what's missing from our diet. Uh, For example, calcium, we all have heard, and we know that it's important for healthy teeth and gum. However, and healthy teeth and bones. However, calcium requires three key nutrients, vitamins, to get into teeth and bones. What are those three things? Vitamin A? Vitamin D and vitamin K two. Mm. Vitamin A is very prevalent in in our Western society, so most people don't have a deficiency. However, ninety percent of the population in the Western world were deficient in vitamin D because we stay indoors all the time, and vitamin K two because of changes in our modern diet. So, um, so we do need vitamin D and K two in our food as well. So, or either either through supplement or oral care product. Some oral care products have added those to the to the toothpaste and mouthwash. So. That's from the diet. One risk factor. The other one is the pH. We've been discussing so much. So of course, the pH of the mouth has to be neutral. So if you eat a lot of acidic foods, well, then you need to alkalize it with alkaline or care products, right? Mouthwash and toothpaste and all of that. Two, three uh, medications. You know, if you take, you know, if you take medications that make your mouth dry, which but, which was another factor, which is a fourth factor, which is if you have saliva, you require you you need a ton of saliva in your mouth to keep your mouth healthy. So, if your mouth is dry be- because of stress or because of mouth breathing, medications, you know, med- medical issues, so that can be another risk factor. Obviously, uh, antibiotics, we just spoke about. If you take antibiotics a lot or for a long time, or if you take even oral care products that have antibiotics in it, uh, or just like take antibiotics for systemic health reasons. For I'm not anti… Again, i very clear. If you have an acute infection, please take your antibiotics. <laughs> yeah. But if you take antibiotics, be careful that you need to take them probiotics, prebiotics, and and, and food with bacteria in, in mind, so you're feeding your cells, but you're also selling, uh, feeding the microbes in your mouth and your gut and other parts of your body. So that's one other factor. And then two other fact, remaining factors. One is the your oral care routine. You got to do it re- correctly, just like we spoke earlier. And the last one is the r- using the wrong products. Like if you're killing the oral microbiomes twice a day with that fluorescent mouthwash or antibiotic, you know antibiotics or antibacterial or essential oils. Oh my God, I get so frustrated when I see people who have no education about oral health. They just, it just sounds good because some people, it's like, it's a fashionable thing to have essential oils and everything. It may be wonderful, by the way, I'm not, again, anti-essential oils for everything, but uh, essential oils don't belong in the mouth. Essential, Especially the ones like peppermint oil, eucalyptus oil, you know, uh, tea tree, these all are very potent antibacterial, they're just herbal antibacterial ingredients, you know, instead of you yeah. know uh, conventional ones. So they, they decimate the oral microbiome and expose your mouth to all sorts of opportunistic microbes. So those are all the risk factors for cavities. And to quickly answer your question about reversing cavities, if your enamel is at a very, very mild stage of cavity, yes, you can reverse it. But once the enamel has a deeper level of um, cavity, because enamel is the only part of your teeth that doesn't have any living cells. And once you, that's why when you chip a tooth, you can't grow it back. That's why I always yeah. tell people when you're like falling down in your face, the most important part of it is protecting your teeth because your skin will heal, your bones will heal, you'll, <laughs> but your teeth will not grow back because there's no uh, living cells in your enamel. I think that's the best advice, sacrifice the skin and the bones, the teeth won't grow back. <laughs> Make sure you wear your mouth guard too, like my son plays football and always like, I know I'm a dentist, but I really, from a, from a scientific reason, really, you, you want to protect your teeth more than anything else. By the way, if you do get a good mouth guard, this is a completely off topic, but since uh, uh, you're just asking my advice for various things, uh, a custom mouth guard is twice as effective, effective as at reducing concussion, not just teeth oh, wow. protection. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, than uh, over the counter mouthwash. If You have a kid, you know, or child, or you a sports yourself, make sure you always wear a custom mouth guard. That is fantastic advice. Uh, and
1: Dr. Haas, I just I can't speak enough to like how much you've even opened my mind up in this short, you know, 45, 50 minutes that we've been chatting.
0: How many and, more questions I have? <laughs> oh my gosh,
1: so many more topics that we would, you know, love to dive in on, but just don't want this, this podcast, specifically the last two hours but like the, the pacifiers oh, it's my
2: pleasure and you guys by the way always if, if you as a, as parents you, we want to call me later if you have any questions i'll be more than happy to <laughs> thank
0: available. you
1: appreciate that appreciate that and i know that there's again so many more topics that we could fill up a whole other podcast with so we might have to call you back and and call on your expertise again in the future but if if people want to learn more now how can they get their hands on your book if your mouth could talk maybe learn more about your practice to find out if you have a location in their area or just learn more from you
2: yeah, perfect. So if you're in Southern California, my the name of my practice is The Super Dentist. So the is the name of our uh, our website. We are in Southern California, San Diego. We're we're kind of expanding into Riverside. Um for the book, you can go to the the mouthbook.com, themouthbook.com or you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any your favorite bookstore, my book is available in audiobook, in ebook, and in hardcover. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks
1: so much. We appreciate your expertise and uh, to use the word you like to use, demystify some of these <laughs> topics having to do with the mouth and the teeth. Um
2: hope, hope we get to chat with you again soon. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me
0: such a fascinating conversation with Dr. Haas. I can't even believe how much I learned and how much I'm going to continue to learn in his book because I'm definitely getting it. So we'll link it up in the show notes below so you can check out everything about him. And of course, please pass this podcast along to other people that you think need to hear this information. I mean, we all take care of our teeth, right? So this could basically go out to anyone. So please share this conversation. I think it's so important. There's so much to cover here. And we're going to hopefully continue to learn about this and maybe even learn from him in the future. So again, all the links down in the show notes, if you haven't yet, please leave us a rating and review It really helps to just continue to get this message spread out to everyone.